wonderful host. And um, I'm just grateful to be here today. And um, to people watching as well, thinking that we can come together as a group of people with different interests, backgrounds, cultures, and in my case, a different accent. <laughs> I recently had a big celebration when I turned 50 two months ago. And my husband, who is known for his romantic endeavors, whisked me away for the weekend uh, to Melbourne. I've always wanted to go to Melbourne. So I saw a Picasso exhibition, I saw a Van Gogh exhibition, and it was lovely. On the evening, the Saturday night, he decided to take me out for a special dinner. Just the two of us celebrating together. We walked along the Yarra River and into a nice little restaurant. And the waiter took us into a little room with two little spaces at the end of a long table. It all happened so quickly, but I was still walking to my little space there when somebody got up and said, Happy birthday, Nancy. And um, I was so shocked and so surprised. I don't think I've ever been so shocked in my life. I looked up and one by one, friends of ours from South Africa who now live scattered across Australia, it's just three couples, but they got up and I can't explain the surprise that I felt and the love and respect that I felt that they would go out of their way to fly into Melbourne to come and celebrate my special day with me. And then, of course, when Eben brought all my children in, uh, in, my heart was just completely overwhelmed. It was a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, I can honestly say that I think I walked on cloud nine for the next week or so. Um, but today, I'm not going to talk about my party, even though I knew somehow it would find a way into my sermon because I was just so stirred up about it. <laughs> today, I'm talking about respect. Because in all honesty, that is what I witnessed at my party, and that is what I took away from it, and it just spoke into the message that I want to deliver today. The three couples that came to my birthday don't know each other from a bar of soap, as my friend Katrina would say. I don't know if that's an Aussie expression, <laughs> but in any case, um, but they know us. They know me and Eben, and we've known each and every couple for very, very many years. We don't see each other often, and um, what I found really, really special about the evening is how every person there contributed with their presence, um, just trying to make it a really special event for me. And I realized that as children of God, when we come together, we also come together with a host, our host being God and sometimes how we relate to one another in the presence of our host might be a little bit open to discussion. So these people came from different places. They had different jobs, different backgrounds. Um, you know, some of them had a nice glass of wine, others did not. Uh, some of them, I know the one is actually a lung specialist, so he was very pro-vaccination. And some of the other people didn't believe in that. And um, but that was not even on the table. Everyone was just there to make it a pleasant and a lovely evening for me. They engaged with one another. They were interested. They asked questions. They shared stories that I'd, they've heard from us. And uh, it was just a very beautiful, beautiful experience. 
at the beginning of the evening, we had a beautiful platter with seafoods and a big platter with oysters. And I think I finished half of the oysters myself um, because I love oysters and not everybody does. And that's fine. And um, <laughs> fine by me in any case. <laughs> um, respect is an attitude of consideration and high regard. And if we are called to imitate Christ for one another, then each one of us are going to have to take the log outside, out of our own eye, present company included. Um, respect honors others in its interactions. It is non-judgmental and engages with people from all backgrounds. Respect understands that we are all guests at the Lord's table and that we have to welcome and accept one another. Today we find ourselves at another table and this time with a bunch of Christians in Rome, in Romans 14. Now I asked myself what could possibly go wrong? We're all Christians. Um, well, don't answer too quickly as I start unpacking the issue with Paul how, about how we can make or break our witness to other people. You know, Paul started talking about this, and it is interesting how he related to the situation. And also fascinating to me that he kind of used a soft glove in the instance that we are dealing with people's feelings, their opinions, and things that lay close to their heart. From Scott's sermon last week, we gathered that love is not just a feeling. It's just not just a romantic inclination. But love is something that needs to be seen, felt, and heard. Now Paul is reflecting on a arguments that has erupted in church relating to issues around clean and unclean food. I'm going to give you a little bit of background just to find the picture. Paul wrote Romans from Corinth, and he addressed this issue of factional Christianity breaking out over traditions. Uh, he was not in Rome at the time, and after Rome became a Christian, got a church, a new emperor came on and he was, he was Nero, which was, uh, he didn't want people to worship and he abolished all of that. And that left the church with a vacuum. And um, when they were allowed to do that again, the Gentile Christians came into the void and some of the Romans that had left for a time returned. Um, and the dispute was about following the Mosaic Torah, which are the laws in the first five books of the Old Testament. I read that there's about 631 of them. And I do understand how we could not adhere to all of them because it still includes animal sacrifice as well. And then, of course, a whole lot of other things. Um, if you grew up like me, you were taught not to ta talk about politics or religion because it had the effect that you might ruin friendships by doing that. 
because these are areas in which people feel very passionately and very strong about what they believe and what they hold really dear to their hearts. So the issue around the clean and unclean food became a big issue. And I reflected on history and I realized, um, you know, Christians have often set standards for others about what is acceptable and what is not. And, um, you know, and suddenly a vision sprang into my mind and I remembered my mum going to church with a big hat. And, and you know, we, we moved on from that, even though I still like hats. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind wearing one, though. <laughs> um, but the issue that Paul is getting into in this scripture is, do I preach my preferences to others? Or do I preach my love through my conduct, how I relate to other people face to face? Um, please bear in mind uh, that we are not talking about the unnegotiable sins in the Ten Commandments. A modern day example would relate to alcohol. Now, drunkenness in the Bible is considered a serious sin. But in other verses, a little bit of wine for an illness is advised by Paul himself. Now, some people don't use alcohol out of love to protect loved ones who might be tempted to do that and might have a problem with that. Someone else might have a beer with a friend one night, not wanting to offend him, and maybe in that discussion, leading him to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I can picture the scene with these people sitting by the table. I can picture a Roman believer just, you know, rolling his eyes in disgust at seeing a Gentile believer scoff down a piece of pork. Or a Gentile believer smirking at all the rules and regulations that the Roman believer is trying to impose on others. Do we always realize when we disrespect others? Or could there maybe be a better way to handle these very loaded situations? I found Paul's practical advice very helpful, but also confronting as I assessed my own conduct and I realized that this is not something I can do on my own. Paul is very clear in Romans 14, verses 17 to 18, where he writes, God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach. For goodness sake, it's what God does with your life. As he sets it right, puts it together and completes it with joy. Your task is to single-mindedly serve Christ probably not be distracted with what others are doing. Do that and you'll kill two birds with one stone, pleasing the God above you and proving your worth to the people around you. And then he goes on to say, don't eat or say or do things that might, that might interfere with the free exchange of love. And I asked myself, now what could possibly interfere with the free exchange of love? I 
oftentimes we find ourselves in these kinds of conversations where it's not really about what is being said, but rather how it's communicated and coming over. Now, I remember as a teenage daughter, my dad, he would often say to me, Nancy, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. That was rather cheeky. Um, <laughs> uh, using our energy to get along with others implies that we create a space. We create a space where we can practice emotional intelligence, which is, by the way, a really hot topic. Um, and it's really something to, to do research on. And as I, as I studied it, I realized, but, you know, when we related to Jesus, that he was the first expression of emotional intelligence and practicing it in his relationships. Now, when we study his life, you know, he is really just the ultimate model of a God I love, which is that love that is in, in action, a love that is seen, it's felt, it's heard, it's ever-present. And um, I believe that emotional intelligence is the closest system to God's agape love that we can find on earth if we want to study practical steps to get better at it. Now, this model can help us learn how to become more aware of our emotions in the moment. And then we can consciously choose how we put Christ back into that moment. When we choose to engage with the world this way, and we invite the Holy Spirit to just come in, take a hold of our emotions, reveal them to ourselves, we have a much better chance in reacting in a way that is not offensive. There are five areas of emotional intelligence. But today, I'm only going to focus on three. The first one would be our self-awareness. This is that inner journey where God comes when we get to know him and he starts revealing more of ourselves to us. We can't know ourselves properly if we don't know God. When we become more self-aware, we start understanding how God constructed us. We start gaining an understanding of our strengths and our weaknesses. And we start owning them as well. I find it interesting that just like Jesus invited others into this conversation, by asking his disciples, who do you say I am? The pertinent question helping us realize that we belong to community. And we need to ask for the input of others. Oftentimes we don't see ourselves as other people see us. And we can self-sabotage in the process. The question to ask is rather, how would the best version of myself respond in this situation. How did Jesus show up in the world? When we become stronger in our identity in Christ, we realize that we become more congruent in our actions, that what we say and what we do belongs to the same person. <laughs> 
And this is the version that God knows, the version that he created, the version that he formed with his own hands in our mother's wombs. And this is the version he wants us to work from, our core, our identity of who we are in him. When we've shed all the layers that the world has placed over us, when we gain this understanding, we won't be so easily offended. We will be confident because we will know that we live before an audience of one, who is actually the only opinion that really matters in any case. The second one would be practicing self-control, which is a fruit of the spirit, which I believe is the mother of all the fruits. Because self-control underlies every decision we make. Every moment we open our mouth to speak, every, every decision, how we choose to react, react in the moment, how we choose to follow through on anything. Self-control. When we learn to identify our behavior, with the help of the Holy Spirit, because we can't do it on our own. The Holy Spirit has the power in the moment to pause through it. When he comes into the moment, he's able to stop you. I call it a holy pause, where he can stop you and you can reassess the situation to come back in a better way or respond in a better way. Jesus calls us to lay down our swords just like he did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he didn't want a disciple to take up a sword. And the third one is practicing empathy. Empathy is the ability of stepping into the emotions of someone else. Stepping into the emotion with someone that you are communicating with and really being interested establish what are they feeling, where are they coming from, what's going on for them, because we don't know what's going on for others half of the time, uh, to listen and just to become aware of those emotions. But then most important, to allow that knowledge to guide us in our interactions, to allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in our interactions. We must also always keep in consideration that 90% of what is communicated is not even verbally expressed. We read others. We read rooms. We can identify biases. We can identify, we can identify attitudes. Our biases cannot stay hidden behind our body language our facial expressions, or our disinterest by listening to others. Now, Paul goes on and he distinguishes between two types of believers in this text. He realizes how people have different backgrounds, different personalities, and that, that shape both parties. And Paul also realizes that people can be sincere in their faith. They can have strong faith, sincere, and they can still disagree. However, 
he does distinguish between them in the terms of weak faith and strong faith. And this is by no means a derogative view, but he does imply that those who strongly adhere to tradition should be respected, welcomed, we should make space for them, um, because that is just as valid and as holy to them. And our respect, if we do not respect them, that then we take something away of the holiness of God for them. They can also be vulnerable. If they grew up with this tradition and this tradition is taken away, it might alienate them from God. And we might be polluting our own witness by not including them and inviting them in that system um, because that's not something that we, we practice. But Paul also sides with the strong who are less inhibited in crossing those cultural borders for the sake of drawing more people to Christ. Paul understands that loving and respecting our neighbors is of the utmost importance. And he puts the responsibility straight back on the shoulders of the strong because they have more freedom and they can either do it or not do it and they still feel comfortable with it. Paul understands you know, that that freedom that we have is not supposed to be misused in order to accommodate other people or to leave them out. Paul writes in Romans 15, verses 3 to 6. God wants the combination of his steady, constant, calling, and warm personal counsel. I like that, warm personal counsel in Scripture. To come to characterize us, keeping us alert for what he will do next keeping us present on the lookout, what's going to happen next. May our dependability steady and warmly personal God develop maturity in you so that you get along with each other as Jesus gets along with us all. Then we will be a choir, not our voices only, but our very lives singing in harmony in a stunning anthem to the God and Father of our Master Jesus. Today I want to invite you to do something really brave. Ask one person who really loves you. Ask one person who really loves you, do you always feel respected in my company? This is a tough question and we have to be open to receive the feedback because we only grow from feedback. Um, and in this situation, also to maybe assess yourself when you have the feedback in terms of, am I really self-aware? Did I see that? Do I practice self-control to make sure I allow Jesus to bring the best reaction possible from me? And then lastly, Am I empathetic? Do I consider the feelings of others just as important as my own? And lastly, I just want to leave you with this quote by Father Richard Raw. Christianity is a lifestyle. 
a way of being in the world that is simple, non-violent, shared, and loving. However, we made it into an established religion and all that goes with it and avoided the lifestyle change itself. One could be warlike, greedy, racist, selfish, and vain in most of Christian history, and still believe that Jesus is one's personal Lord and Savior. The world has no time for such silliness anymore. The suffering on earth it's just far too great. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for bringing us all around your table today. I thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ who can stand up against what's going on in the world. Lord, help us remain and our unity and Remain in unity, Lord, and realize that you brought us together to build your kingdom as one. I pray, Lord, that we will glorify your name by all coming together and singing in that choir that spreads the gospel over the world. I ask, Lord, that you will help us look inside and always remind us, Lord, that we cannot affect any change if we don't change in ourselves. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.